This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. and welcome to The Bunker. I'm Gavin Esler. Out of America, always something new. Here we are in 2023 and faced with the prospect that in little over a year's time, Donald Trump will be securely back in the White House as President of the United States. Alternatively, Trump could be even more secure in a maximum security US prison, wearing perhaps an orange prison jumpsuit. One poll in the past few days put Trump neck and neck with Joe Biden, if Trump, as currently looks likely, secures the Republican nomination for the presidency. He is way ahead of all the other likely Republican candidates. At the same time, Donald Trump faces an array of legal problems, including the most serious yet four charges this week of conspiracy to defraud the United States, to obstruct an official proceeding, obstruction of an attempt to obstruct an official proceeding, conspiracy against rights. Then there's the upcoming hush money story about Trump and Stormy Daniels and the Georgia allegations of vote rigging. And at this point, I'm getting confused. So to make some sense out of this, I hope I've got expert help from Sarah Isger, who is a senior editor of The Dispatch and host of the Advisory Opinions podcast. Sarah, welcome to The Bunker. Thanks for having me. And go ahead. Where, where on earth are we in this um, interesting show? Uh, yep. Yep. Uh, <laughs> that that kind of sums it up. Look, okay, let's visit where we've been. There For criminal indictments, New York City indicted Donald Trump related to 2016 campaign finance violations. I think that's by far the weakest criminal indictment that Donald Trump is facing and the one most open to charges of uh, sort of political shenanigans. Then... And we're going in chronological order here, which is something you didn't think you'd have to do with a United States president. But again, here we are. Uh, now we move to Florida. That is where he has been charged with the willful retention of national security information and obstruction. This is by far, in my opinion, the strongest or the most jeopardy that Donald Trump is in. The charges are very focused. The facts are just incredibly clear. Um, the obstruction points in particular, I haven't even heard a defense of from sort of Trump allies of why you would get to hide boxes, lie to the FBI, you know, yada, 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 lobster bisque, as uh, we say over here based on Seinfeld. Uh, that's a show y'all got. Um, okay, so now we move to this week where we get the indictment um, over Donald Trump's activities after the election leading to January 6th. This falls somewhere in between for me in terms of the strength of the indictment. The charges that they've brought are from statutes that are pretty vague, very broad. Well, generally when our Congress does broad, vague statutes, the way that they make them legal, constitutional, et cetera, is that there's a, quote, specific intent requirement. 
Um, and let me give you a very fun example. So you are uh, heading to vote and I rob you on the way. Now, uh, first of all, I've committed robbery. That's a crime. But in Donald Trump's case, what he did is not a separate crime. There's no 18 USC sending in a false slate of electors. Okay, so the robbery is a crime. Whether you can charge me under federal law then for robbing you will depend. Did I do it because I wanted your watch? I'm sure it's a very nice watch worth robbing you for. Or did I rob you because I wanted to prevent you from voting? The prosecution would have to prove the latter, meaning I knew that you were on your way to vote and I didn't want you to vote. And that's why I robbed you to intimidate you, to oppress you from your constitutional right to have your vote cast. That's what the prosecution is facing in this case, is they're going to have to prove Donald Trump's mental state, which the jokes fly right there. <laughs> but you've, you've taken us a tour of the U.S. judicial system and also of some very lovely states of the United States. That's right. States. Yes, it's a whole <laughs> tour de force up and down the East Coast. So well done. The West Coast awaits, perhaps. But um, one of the things that strikes me is that the, the January insurrection, uh, the horrible things that happened at the Capitol, which we all saw around the world, which were so bad for the image of democracy, actually, the people who were convicted of that, the kind of foot soldiers, if you will, they had the book thrown at them. They've, they've, they're doing quite serious time. So is that the jeopardy that we could see a former president of the United States facing really serious jail time? So really interesting point here, because the judge who is going to hear this case, oversee the trial for Donald Trump in D.C., has actually done, I believe, 58 of the foot soldier cases. And so I think that will be top of her mind is that sort of comparison between the foot soldiers and the so-called you know mob boss leader problem. However, Donald Trump is not charged with anything related to the violence on January 6th. He's not charged with incitement um, or you know instigating any of that. What he is charged with related to specifically the date January 6th is his efforts to get the vice president not to certify the results of the election and that he used the violence at the Capitol to sort of give him time to make that case, to call senators, et cetera. So that's a real distinction between what the January 6th defendants, the foot soldiers, were charged with. They're charged with trespassing, violence, you know, all sorts of stuff. Many of them have gotten, as you said, lengthy jail sentences. Donald Trump isn't charged with any of those things. However, when it comes to jail time, don't worry. Donald Trump is facing charges that could result in decades of jail time far past his life expectancy. Wow. that's uh, Well, that perhaps explains what's been going on in my head because of something that an American lawyer said to me years ago. He said, one of the things you learn in law school is if the facts are against you, you argue the law. If the law is against you, you argue the facts. If they're both against you, which they may be in this case, you just argue, which Donald Trump is doing actually rather well, isn't he? Uh, that's funny. So my version of that is uh, at the end, if both are against you, you pound the table, <laughs> which I think is actually even more accurate of what's happening with Donald yeah. Trump and his team on cable news right now. Um, you know, they want to focus on the weakest charges, the weakest arguments as well. They should, you know, if I were his defense attorney, that's exactly what I'd be doing. I think you're going to notice that Donald Trump and his allies aren't going to talk anymore about that Florida indictment because it is, as I said, 
so much more of a you know sharpshooter indictment. This one's a lot more shotgun approach. Right, and we, and we all saw the boxes and the the raid and Mar-a-Lago and all. There's that. literally yeah. pictures, audio. I mean, I don't know, like, camera footage. They have it all in the Florida case. <laughs> okay, but then can can we move on a little bit to what happens next? Because what you could see is this argument going on throughout next year. All kinds of reasons to delay, good legal reasons perhaps from from Trump's lawyers. So we have an American election, which everybody around the world wants to see how this turns out, where the leading candidate, and he may be the leading candidate, um, is facing still charges, even when people are going to vote. That is extraordinary, but it could happen, couldn't it? Not just could. I, um, in fact, I think it is almost certain that he will still be facing some criminal charges when Election Day is held next November. Um, there is also, I think, a decent chance that one of these has gone to trial before the election. But remember, we also are still waiting, speaking of our tour of the East Coast, right? So we have New York, Florida, D.C., and we're still waiting on Georgia. Ah, yes. Yes. The is always quite late, isn't it? <laughs> Georgia on my mind for August now. Right. Um, Y'all get our music too, I'm assuming. Uh, <laughs> so yes, high likelihood that all four of these certainly will not be resolved before the election. This is a mess. As you said, there will be good and bad legal reasons to delay some of these trials. Donald Trump's team has made it clear that they want all of this delayed until after the 2024 election. Uh, they cite several reasons for that, some of which are legally cognizable reasons, many of which are... Um, Dum-dum reasons. That's the legal terminology. Um, the dum-dum reasons, for instance, are he's really busy. I would love for you to show me a criminal defendant who doesn't have something else going on in their life that well, they would like to do. To play, That's right. Um, but when we talk about the good, let's just skip to the good legal reasons. So in that Florida case, for instance, when you're dealing with classified documents, there's a whole procedure. Because remember, Trump's lawyers don't have... Uh, you know, clearance to review those classified documents. And there's something called gray mail, I mean, colloquially called gray mail, whereby defendants charged with mishandling classified information, in this case, willfully retaining national security information that also happens to be classified um, in many cases, uh, the national security agency that owns some of these documents does not want them to be exposed during a criminal trial. But of course, defendants have the right to, uh, you know, confront their accuser, which part and parcel of that here is going to be to actually talk about the documents they're charged with keeping. So a defendant gets to say, well, if you want to move forward with this, I'm going to tell everyone what's in that document. And the national security agencies then are like, not worth it. Let them go. So there's going to be a lot of motions practice, what we call where, you know, the defense is going to go to the judge and say, you know, this document that he had in Mar-a-Lago that you charged him with, it references these five other documents. We're going to need all five of those, and we're going to want to present them all to the jury. And the judge is then going to have to review those documents one by one in her chambers alone before she even gives them to the defense. Then she's going to have to rule on where and how the jury can review them. Maybe the, some of them need to be blacked out at parts. You can see why this could take a very, very long time and why, if your purpose is to delay the trial, you can use this process to push it off. Now, this D.C. January 6th one that I'm talking about won't have any of that, but substitute in like hundreds of witnesses that they're going to want to talk to and get statements from.
This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. What is going on then in the Republican Party? I mean, I was thinking of, I, I happen to know John McCain when I lived in Washington, a decent Republican guy. And I was thinking the other day, if he were alive now, or George Washington, another, I presume, Fairly, fairly decent guy, or Abraham Lincoln, a decent Republican. If they were alive now, what would they think of this? Well, we know what John McCain would think of it. That's very clear to me. Um, you know, Lincoln's a little harder, but fun to think about. You know, Lincoln, you know, you don't want to go down this rabbit hole with me, but, you know, don't forget, Lincoln is the guy who arguably suspends the U.S. Constitution during an insurrection. Um, throws people in jail without benefit of habeas corpus. But the whole time he's wringing his hands and he's saying, I feel like I have to do this, even though I know it's uh, sort of A or unconstitutional. Um, I don't think Lincoln would like the self-aggrandizing, not country first aspect of this. No, I don't think so. Or the division, uh, the creation of deliberate divisions, I suspect he might not like. I think he would not enjoy that. Um, and there he is. He's sitting in the Lincoln Memorial. For those of your listeners who have not been over to the United States, can I just take a point of personal privilege to recommend that if you're coming to D.C. and if you're going to take in um, our our somewhat we were kind of into the French at this point because you guys were trying to murder us. Um, so it's a little bit French aesthetic. Nevertheless, go to the Lincoln Memorial at night. That is my biggest piece of advice when visiting the United States, because what you'll see are families there, families that could have gone to Disney World, they could have gone to the Mall of America or even Broadway. And instead, they have chosen past bedtime to take their kids to visit Abraham Lincoln and inculcate that sense of American exceptionalism. Um, you know, our 247 year experiment here in self-government and to bring them into that tradition and culture. And it is actually kind of breathtaking. And you've got it the is. Gettysburg Address on one side and the second inaugural on the other. The, you know, America's greatest sin being, you know, coming to fruition. Um, it's really cool. So sorry, just <laughs> had, to, had to do it. Had to I do think it. that's good tourist advice. I, I would second that. But l- let me ask you something that's been in, in my head a bit. Could Joe Biden actually pardon Donald Trump if he admits guilt and drops out the race? Would that really throw a spanner into everything? What other pipe dreams have you been having and other hard drugs have <laughs> you course, been doing? A, a, well, I, I, I'm just a devious kind of political watcher <laughs> who spent too long in Washington. So that's not going to happen. If you're asking literally, could he? Of course, Joe Biden could pardon him tomorrow. I think Joe Biden actually probably made a mistake in not pardoning him before all of this happened. I don't mean before January 6th, but before charges were brought Um around January 6th, because I think this is going to be so hard on the country and long. You know, this isn't just a trial. There's going to be appeals if he's convicted. If he's not convicted, there's going to be this sort of O.J. Simpson-esque sense that like the murderer got away with it. Um, it's, it's going to be really, really hard and I think very detrimental to the 
politics of this country for a long time to come. I think Joe Biden probably could have headed this off at the pass, you know, a year ago. But here we are. Uh, Donald Trump's not going to admit guilt. Joe Biden's not going to pardon him at this point. I think an interesting legal question is if Donald Trump were to win in 2024, and right now polls show it tied within the margin. Some have Donald Trump up, some have Joe Biden up, but all sort of within three points. We don't have a great constitutional answer to whether a president can pardon himself. And I just picture all of y'all across the pond laughing at us that we thought we were so cool with our written constitution and you don't have an answer to that question. Well, so much for that piece of paper. I think the founding fathers have got a lot to answer for here. Right? Look, I mean, there's so much more we could talk about and I hope we can continue this conversation. But I just, just a, a, a final thought. Is there a lot more we don't even know about? Because there are other investigations going on. There could be endless kind of things coming out of the closet. So here's something that I don't think enough people have talked about around this January 6th indictment, the DC indictment. We didn't actually learn anything new in this indictment. All of this that I've seen, you know, the 45 pages, it doesn't mean DOJ doesn't have some stuff up their sleeve, some evidence that we haven't seen. They could, but in terms of what they put in this indictment, All of this came out during the January 6th hearings. Most of it was even known in advance of those congressional hearings as well. Um, So that is something about Donald Trump that has always been interesting. When you think back to, for instance, the New York indictment, the one that I said was the weakest in a lot of ways, about his payments during his campaign that were quote unquote hush money payments to the porn star that he maybe or maybe didn't have the affair with. Again, can't believe Abraham Lincoln, really enjoying this conversation. Um, (laughs) And George Washington, deeply confused by this conversation. Uh, That none of it was new, right? The American people knew about the hush money payments. They knew about the porn star affair, maybe. It was baked into the election in some sense. And so a larger question that Americans, I think, need to think about, are thinking about, is how much of this is supposed to be handled by our political process, by political accountability at the ballot box or the impeachment power that failed? And how much of this is supposed to be handled by our criminal justice system? That's big picture what a whole lot of this argument's about for the next forever. <laughs> what you need is a written constitution. Oh, wait, you've got one. Ah, damn Sarah. it. You did us so well for so long, and we mocked you guys. And I mean, you know what we say to our children when we teach them about our written constitution, and then like, then there's those bozos across the pond. They're just like Magna Carta. What? <laughs> On that happy note, I hope we talk again. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. Sarah, thank you. A big thanks to Sarah Isgar, senior editor at The Dispatch and host of the Advisory Opinions podcast. And listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, please support The Bunker on Patreon. For as little as £3 a month, you can get perks like exclusive merch, ad-free episodes, and travel arrangements when you visit Washington. Thank you for listening. This is The Bunker. I'm Gavin Esler. Goodbye. The Bunker USA was written and presented by Gavin Esler. The producer was Chris Jones, with audio production by Alex Reese and me, Simon Williams. The managing editor is Jacob Jarvis. The group editor is Andrew Harrison, with music by Kenny Dickinson and artwork by James Parrott. The Bunker USA is a Podmasters production.